wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. What's going on, guys? And welcome back to Wrestle Rant Radio for July 5th, 2018. I am Graham G.S. Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well and recovering from your 4th of July festivities. And if you're not American, hopefully you enjoyed a great Wednesday and an awesome episode of NXT from that same night. Uh, Speaking of the black and yellow brand, we're talking all about NXT, Raw, SmackDown Live, and 205 Live on today's edition of WrestleRant Radio and so much more. Of course, every single Thursday, new episodes are uploaded to not only NextDayWrestling.net, but also to iTunes. Simply search up WrestleRant Radio on Apple Podcasts, rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. You not only get all the archived episodes dating back to October of 2013, nearly five years worth of content, you get all the new episodes too, every single Thursday. They instantly download straight to your streaming device, and now it's easier than ever to check out WrestleRant Radio. Um, But like I said, plenty to talk about on today's show. Maybe not too, too much due to the holiday week. Um, This week's editions of Raw and SmackDown were not incredibly newsworthy, but I will also be breaking down and giving my two cents on last Friday's Ring of Honor Best in the World pay-per-view, which I thought all in all was a great show. Uh, Maybe not the most newsworthy night in recent Ring of Honor history, but all things considered, it was a very strong show and a very entertaining evening of in-ring action, so... More on that momentarily. Uh, real quick, though, we got some breaking news here on two different fronts. One, I mean, actually, two fronts that are related. First, on the all-in front, the event emanating from Chicago on September 1st, being brought on by the Young Bucks, Cody, and really the Bullet Club just in general. Um, one of the most anticipated independent events, really, events in general, any uh, wrestling event, period, um, in many, many years, taking place on September 1st. We got our first match announced for the show by the All-In account on Twitter earlier today, earlier on this Thursday, that being Okada versus Marty Skrull, which I don't think has ever happened before, unless I'm mistaken. I doubt it has. I don't think it has, not to my memory anyway. Uh, The villain versus the Rainmaker should be fucking awesome, so that's a big, big announcement on the All-In front. In addition to the fact that SCU is now... Um, booked for All-In, unlike Flip Gordon, but SCU, that being Christopher Daniels, Frankie Kazarian, and Scorpio Sky, are now All-In for Chicago on September 1st. Now, speaking of All-In, there's a few people that are going to be all-out, including Deanna Perrazzo, who we talked about, I believe. I may have missed, you know, glossed over it, but Deanna Perrazzo was reportedly signed by WWE a few months back, and I think it's all but official. WWE has yet to announce it themselves. Um, but Deanna herself has not, you know, denied the rumors, and she's, I think, has since moved to Florida, so I'm pretty sure that she is NXT-bound very, very soon if she hasn't already signed the deal or hasn't already started working out at the Performance Center, which is great to see, but even Cody confirmed on Twitter that uh, Deanna Perrazzo, despite being previously announced for the All-In show this September, she will not be All-In in Chicago this coming fall, which is a shame, but... Deanna Perrazzo is one of my favorite women's wrestling stars on the scene today. She is really, really good. She should do very well for herself in NXT. Um, They really, in all honesty, should have signed her years ago. But it might be because they see her as, I mean, she's not the biggest name on that all-in show. But there were reports going around a while ago that WWE was keen on signing as many names as possible um, away from all-in so they don't compete on the show which is a shame for All In, but it's good for WWE if they're picking up the likes of Deanna Perrazzo. And now, one Rey Mysterio. It was reported mere hours ago via um, the Wrestling Standard Twitter account. That's Wrestling Standard Twitter account, I should say. It is at WrestlingSTD. Not the most 
not, not the greatest Twitter handle I've ever heard, but at uh, WrestlingSDD, for better or for worse, I guess can mean a variety of different things. Um, yeah, they broke the news mere hours ago that Rey Mysterio has since re-signed with WWE um, for a two-year deal, which is really exciting. I mean, this really should come as no surprise. I think a lot of us expected this to happen at some point, maybe not so soon. I mean, then again, I think a lot of people thought it would happen right after WrestleMania. Um, I know Mysterio did indeed get hurt. I was there for the injury. It happened at a Northeast Wrestling show back in early March. I was there for the show. I had a great time at the WrestleFest show put on by NEW. Um, he was injured in the main event alongside Flip Gordon. I think he faced Joey Mercury and one other person I can't recall, but he was injured. I think he hurt his bicep. He was all cleared up by a month or two later. He was given the green light to compete in the greatest Royal Rumble about a month after that, about a month and a half after that. So he has since stepped back in the ring. He's wrestled a few matches for New Japan, which is cool. Um, I don't know if we will ever get that Jushin Thunder Liger versus Rey Mysterio match that was announced months ago for the Strong Style Evolve show. We might get it. We might not. At this point, it's not really that big of a deal. Um, Rey Mysterio, I've said time and time again, though, is one of the hottest free agents in pro wrestling today. And the guy is well over 40 years old. He is well past his prime. He can still have a great match. There's no doubt about that. Um, he's not the Rey Mysterio of old, but then again, how could he be? I mean, the guy's taken so many bumps, so many bruises, has injured his knee like fucking 100 times by this point. Um, that really should come as no surprise. But then again, the guy's still having very, very good matches, like I said. And he's the hot ticket right now. Impact wanted him a while ago, and talks broke down. I'm surprised that Ring of Honor never approached him. At least that was never made public knowledge. Uh, maybe they did attempt to sign Rey Mysterio. I think Rey Mysterio and, Rey Mys and Ring of Honor would have been really, really cool. Uh, Ray of Honor would have been awesome. Um, obviously, he was signed by Lucha Underground for a couple of years, which he has since left a promotion. He was over in New Japan for a couple, a couple months, um, and he's since competed in a few matches for them. He's been doing a lot of indie shows. He was all-in at one point. Now, I'm not sure if this changes that. Is Rey Mysterio off the all-in show seems to be the question right now. I would assume so. I think the belief is that he might start on SmackDown Live as soon as next month. Um, this reminds me a lot of the Shelton Benjamin situation from a few years ago when they initially brought back the brand split and they started running vignettes that Shelton Benjamin was on his way back to WWE. Of course, he got hurt and he wasn't brought back for another year, but it looked like he would not re-debut on the show until after SummerSlam 2016. We might see something similar with Shelton Benjamin. He's already made the surprise return twice. I mean, then again, we already kind of knew he was going to be a part of the greatest Royal Rumble. He was advertised in advance for that event. Um, but the initial, original return at the Royal Rumble back in January, which I was in attendance for and had an amazing time, and that was one of the highlights of my, not only night, but weekend in Philly for Royal Rumble weekend was seeing Rey Mysterio come back, which I wanted nothing more than to see just that, and we got it, which was phenomenal. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, if they wanted to run vignettes promoting his return to SmackDown or have him come back as a surprise opponent for like a Jeff Hardy in the Independence Day Open Challenge for the United States Championship and have him take the title off Jeff so Jeff can take time off. Whatever the case might be, um, I think Ray is a perfect fit for the SmackDown brand. I guess you could put him on 205 Live. 205 Live is doing a lot better than it used to, um, which I'll talk more about a little later on because they have one of the best matches. They hosted one of the best matches I've seen all year up to this point between Buddy Murphy and Mustafa Ali on Tuesday's show. So putting him on 205 Live would not exactly be a slap in the face at this point in time. But then again, Rey Mysterio has so much more to offer than, you know, I mean, a, a match here and there with like Akira Tozawa or Kalisto, obviously, or a Leo Rush could be a lot of fun. But I don't know, I just see Rey Mysterio as a better fit at this point in his career on SmackDown Live, feuding with a guy like Andrade Sinalamas. Uh, Ray Ray and Alberto Del Rio feuded for like the first five months of Del Rio's main roster run. And it did Del Rio great wonders, to be quite honest with you. Del Rio was brought in. He beat Rey Mysterio on night one in clean fashion, you know, forcing fans to take attention of Alberto Del Rio. Now, I'm not saying Almas is going to beat Rey Mysterio clean one, two, three, and Rey Mysterio's first match back. That would be kind of stupid. But I think uh, a series of matches between... Guys like Mysterio and Almas, Mysterio and Styles, Mysterio and Hardy, and a number of other people could be a lot of fun. So I really do hope that 
he does end up signing with SmackDown, ends up on the blue brand, and he will be uh, back in WWE, WWE's good graces by around SummerSlam time, I would imagine, back on TV um, full-time by that point. So hopefully, you know, it would be cool if they still allowed him to work all-in, but considering what seems to be WWE's animosity towards the event and signing everyone that they possibly can... Um, it does not look like Rey Mysterio will be all in come Chicago's um, September 1st event, which is a shame. Um, but if it does mean that he is back in WWE doing hopefully something of note and not being, you know, fucking jobbed out to the likes of Mojo Raleigh or, God forbid, Ty Dillinger or, you know, someone along those lines um, or Shelton Benjamin. I mean, Rey Mysterio, if he's being brought back, hopefully for a two-year deal with a lot of money, you would think they would use him right, but... Then again, I mean, they re-signed Rob Van Dam at one point. They had him under contract, and they had him really doing nothing for months on end, losing to Rusev on random episodes of Raw. They had the Dudley Boys for about a year, uh, really not doing much of note with them either, aside from a quick tag team title feud of the New Day right off the bat. But beyond that, they did really nothing um, in their one year back in WWE. And people will always react to Rey Mysterio. There's no doubt about that, but... If he is coming back, if he is taking himself off the free agency list in the world of wrestling, then he might as well be utilized correctly. Not saying that he should be WWE champion again um, anytime soon, if ever. But, you know, if the guy's on SmackDown, positioned as a top star, feuding with the likes of, the aforementioned likes of, Almas, Hardy, Styles, um, Orton maybe when he comes back, Nakamura, Miz, Samoa Joe, Rusev... That would be a lot of fun. Otherwise, what's the point? Aside from the money, what's the point? So I did want to share my thoughts on Rey Mysterio coming back to WWE. Very exciting times in the company right now. Um, Unfortunately, we have some not-so-good news on the WWE front with Bray Wyatt and Ruby Riot being injured this past week. Ruby Riot suffered her injury at a live event earlier on, I think either the day before Raw or the weekend before this week's Raw. Um, Thankfully, it has since been... Not confirmed, but I think reported that Ruby Riot's injury was merely a sprain. She was off Monday's Raw. She did not appear or compete or anything. And it wasn't until after the fact that I found out that she wasn't on the show because she was hurt. Um, but it is great news that she is on her way back. Hopefully she won't be out for too, too long. Because Ruby Riot, as I've said time and time again here on the show and in various articles and reviews and stuff like that, that Ruby Riot has really been the diamond in the rough of that Raw women's division over the past two months, which is really not that long of a time, I understand that, but even going back to her time on SmackDown, Ruby Riot has been one constant in both the Raw and SmackDown women's divisions, going for the championships, not winning them, but having great showings every single time. She's that good. So I'm glad Ruby Riot's been giving a chance to shine recently. Hopefully, um, it does lead to her getting her time in the spotlight as the Raw Women's Champion before long. And hopefully she's not out for too, too long. Uh, Shinsuke Nakamura, which I might have mentioned on last week's show, he was hurt um, after being bitten by a police dog at an airport um, before SmackDown last week. So that was that. A very bizarre injury, to say the least. Um, I don't know if he's cleared to compete yet. As of at last word, I don't think he has been, um, according to the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. So, hopefully he is back soon. And no, it was confirmed that at Extreme Rules next Sunday, he will be facing Jeff Hardy for the United States Championship, which is great. A fresh match, a fresh feud, um, gets Hardy on the show, a pay-per-view that he... I mean, I think he was at Backlash, but he wasn't a part of Money in the Bank, so... I'm glad Hardy's being represented, as well as the United States Championship, on that event. Uh, But Nakamura, I don't think as of now, has been um, cleared to compete. Hopefully he will be 100% by next Sunday's pay-per-view. And then there's Bray Wyatt, who was in a car crash before Monday's Raw. Um, Apparently at fault for the accident, too, according to reports. And I think TMZ had reported on it a couple days back. Um, But yeah, hopefully he's not out also for too, too long. Because a lot like Ruby Riot and Nakamura, he kind of finds himself in a good position right now. I mean, he's one half of the Raw Tag Team Champion, so pretty good place to be. His feud with the B Team alongside Matt Hardy has not been the most exciting so far. But... Nonetheless, the guy is one half of the Raw Tag Team Champions. He has not been on this much of a role in years, I would argue. So it's cool to see him doing his thing. 
And hopefully, I mean, again, a lot like Nakamura, he does have a match announced for Extreme Rules. Now, again, that was announced well before he got hurt, like two or, you know, a week or two ago. Um, but that being said, I think Bray Wyatt should hopefully be by that point 100%, or at least close to 100%, so he can be clear to compete. Um, again, I think he was pretty banged up. He could not remember, like, the details of what happened, so it was pretty serious stuff. It could have been a lot worse. He was released from the hospital soon after it happened, so... Uh, thankfully, it wasn't worse than it was, but it would suck to see Bray Wyatt left off another pay-per-view, um, a third consecutive pay-per-view, if the injury does, you know, if the injury is worse than expected. So, hopefully, that's not the case, and we do get Hardy and Wyatt. You know, as much as I really don't care to see it, I do like the Hardy and Wyatt combo. I guess you could say their act. Um, so, I would hate to see them stripped of the Raw Tag Team titles if they don't need to be. If Bray Wyatt can't continue to compete, so. We'll see. I, I mean, it's a shame, too, because I like Hardy and Wyatt, their act, like I said, but they're never freaking on pay-per-view. They haven't been on pay-per-view since WrestleMania. And even then, they weren't on the show because it was on the kickoff show, you know? They weren't a Backlash. They weren't a Money in the Bank. They're on Raw almost every single week, which is great, which is to be expected, hopefully. But then again, tag team wrestling in WWE has seemingly, quite apparently, uh, painfully apparent, I should add, I should add there, that... Tag team wrestling has not been a high priority of this company for quite some time now. And I always talk to Jason because he always watches Raw like on uh, on delay on Hulu Plus. Hardy and Wyatt, never anywhere to be found. They're never on Hulu because their matches are always cut from the broadcast because they're always meaningless filler. Whether they're facing the Ascension or Slater and Rhino or a member of the B team, nobody cares. So hopefully, again, we do see Wyatt and Hardy continue to do their thing with Wyatt being clear to compete, come extreme rules, but time's a ticking. He's only got 10 days from now um, to get back in the ring. I doubt we see him on Monday's Raw. I think he's been taking off this weekend's live events, which is for the best, to preserve his health. Um, and in that case, Matt Hardy gets fucked over again after his last tag team partner, Jeff Hardy, got hurt late last year. Then he was paired with uh, Bray Wyatt, and now he's getting hurt, so... Matt is not uh, not having the best of luck with partners recently in WWE. Anyway, before I move forward with my thoughts on this week's editions of Raw, SmackDown, 205 Live, and NXT, I do want to give my full review real quick of last Friday's Ring of Honor Best in the World pay-per-view from June 29, 2018. This was a great show. A really, really good show. Um, not the best top-to-bottom Ring of Honor pay-per-view I've ever seen. Not even as good as I think it could have been, just because there were no title changes some of the matches weren't as epic as I thought they would be, but still, all in all, on the whole, this event was excellent. We kicked off the evening with a Ring of Honor World six-man tag team title match with the Kingdoms, Matt Taven, TK Orion, and Vinny Marsalia taking on the Los Ingobernables from uh, New Japan. That was a terrible accent. I apologize. I will never try to do that again. I will never attempt to do that again. It was a fun match. I don't think the outcome was ever in doubt. Um, but I'm glad they got this out of the way early just because I think a lot of people figured the Kingdom was walking away still the Ring of Honor World Six-Man Tag Team Champions here. But the match was good. I enjoyed it. Uh, Matt Taven continues to shine. I know he's been staking his claim at the Ring of Honor World Championship for a while. Now he was supposed to get a one-on-one -on -one shot against Dalton Castle at a Ring of Honor live event in Lowell, Mass. Um, about two months ago, then Dalton Castle got hurt. Never happened. Uh, more on that later after my Best in the World review. But Matt Taven's really come a long way. The, the guy has always been a great hand in the ring. Um, but this match, combined with what we saw on Ring of Honor TV the following week, mere days later, with him against Ultimo Guerrero, a match I saw live at the Ring of Honor TV taping I attended last month. Uh, Matt Taven is really one to watch out for. The guy is great and does not get the credit he deserves for being as good as he is. Um, yeah, I'm a big Matt Taven supporter, so I'm glad to see him shining right now and seeing his stock skyrocket in Ring of Honor. Also on the show, we had Flip Gordon taking on Bully Ray, which was less of a match and more of an angle than anything, which is fine. It was easily the weakest thing on the show. I enjoy heel Bully Ray. I don't really think Ring of Honor needs heel Bully Ray, but as an undercard act, I'm okay with it. Like Bully Ray back in the World Championship picture, when you have guys like Dalton Castle, Marty Skrull, Cody J. Lethal, and so many others. It would be a, a massive waste of the rest of the roster if that was the case, but it's not that big of a deal. He's feeding with the likes of Cheeseburger and Flip Gordon and Cole Cabana. God, I love him, but the guy's a commentator at this point, so 
Uh, it's not a feud that's going to be positioned too high up on the card, but they're making the most of what they have with the guy. Um, again, this really wasn't much of a match at all, but it was fine for what it was. Flip Gordon went over by disqualification after Bully Ray intentionally got himself disqualified. Um, afterward, laying out Flip Gordon, laying out Cheeseburger, and then as they mentioned, Cole Cabana stepping up to the plate before going face-to-face -face with Bully Ray. Um, this feud will be furthered in the coming weeks. I think next week on Ring of Honor TV when Bully Ray takes on Cheeseburger in a no-disqualification match. And let me tell you, that was one of the best bouts of the entire TV taping last month. It was a lot of fun. The audience ate up everything they did. So I'm looking forward to seeing where this feud goes from there. I won't spoil what happens, but it is worth checking out on Fight TV or wherever Ring of Honor airs near you, online, on their website, whatever. Um, seek it out. Nonetheless, because the match is going to be an absolute blast. And I really, really hope that Bully Ray and Cheeseburger comes off as well on TV as it did in person in the Hammerstein Ballroom. After that, we had women's action here, an eight-woman tag team match with the Ring of Honor Women of Honor champion, uh, the Ring of Honor Women of Honor champion. Did I pronounce that right? Sumi Sakai, Meyer, Mayu Awatani, Tenille Dash with the former Emma, and uh, Jenny Rose taking on... Uh, here we go again. I struggled with these names last week, but um, Kachakdistu? Kagistu? I can't pronounce that for the life of me. Kelly Klein, Hanakamura, and Azuki. Those are a lot easier than that first name. The uh, uh, Stardom Champion, the Stardom World Champion. I don't know, but she's a champion of some sort. But this was a really, really good match. Um, it's great to see the Women of Honor's division getting a lot more TV time in recent months than they ever have before. Because usually what would happen would be that they would tape an episode entirely devoted to the women and then air those like literally every five to six months. So basically the Women of Honor never got any exposure on their shows and they introduced these Ring of Honor six-man tag team titles and all this other stuff. But the Women of Honor's title really should have come years before it did, but better late than never. And we got it um, a few months ago with Sumi Sakai beating, I think it was Kelly Klein, to become the inaugural Ring of Honor Women of Honor champion. Um, this was a really, really fun match. The crowd actually got into by the end, which I was surprised by. Um, Sumi Sakai was great here. Iwatani, I think, picked up the victory for her team. I was first exposed to her on an episode of Ring of Honor TV during the tournament to crown the inaugural Women of Honor champion. Um, I forgot who she faced, but the match took place over in Stardom in Japan. She's awesome. Iwatani is awesome. Um, and I should also probably note, it was also reported this past week that, again, another name I cannot pronounce for the life of me, but Ayu uh, Shari, I-O is her first name, and then S-H-A-I-R-I, -I, I think. Um, she was signed to NXT this past week, which is very exciting news. I think last weekend the news broke, which is awesome. Um, but she will be an excellent addition to that, room, uh, to that women's division over in NXT. Anyway, this was a great match. I don't know where they go from here. Maybe Awatani gets a title shot against Sakai. Either way, I was very impressed by what the ladies did here. After that, we had Austin Aries taking on Kenny King in a very, very good match. This was one of the matches I was looking forward to most on this pay-per-view. Um, just because it's so cool to see Aries back in the fold in Ring of Honor. Maybe not full-time, um, but his first Ring of Honor pay-per-view in uh, eight years, maybe, they said. Something along those lines, at least seven or eight years, Aries has not been in the company um, as a regular member of the roster in quite some time. I mean, he was on the um, 16th anniversary show, maybe Super Card of Honor, but his first match on a pay-per-view happened here, which was, again, amazing. Um, this match was very, very good. Him and Kenny King worked very well together. The whole story in this match was that King had Aries beat on multiple occasions, but he couldn't go through with the, he couldn't go through with the win. Because he saw Aries as a friend. Aries took advantage of that and uh, ended up defeating Kenny King clean as a sheet. One, two, three. I think he might have cheated, but nonetheless, a win is a win for the greatest man that ever lived. Um, very fun match that keeps the feud alive. I did say my Ring of Honor best in the world predictions last week that I did not think Aries would win just because I didn't think he was sticking around in Ring of Honor. But I would expect that based off the fact that he won here, that he is sticking around in the company at least for another few weeks, if not months. Uh, which is great, but it was weird, I will admit, seeing the Impact World Champion compete on a Ring of Honor pay-per-view. And the commentators even made, mention, made, even made mention of that, too. And it's not like just because he's in Ring of Honor that the Impact stuff doesn't matter. 
He was wearing the Impact World title as he was making his way down to the ring. So, again, Aries is uh, making no bones about it that the guy is uh, living life right now, wearing championships from across several promotions, um, now beating Kenny King, hopefully getting one step closer to clinching that Ring of Honor World Television Championship that he oh so desires right now. Another excellent match in the pay-per-view came up next. Jay Lethal versus Kushida. The story of this match was that Lethal had a list. The list of Lethal, if you will, um, of opponents that have beaten him over the last number of months, including Punishment Martinez, Chucky T. He had Mark Briscoe on the list. And the last person on that list that he had to check off from War of the Worlds 2017 was Kushida. They had faced off one time, I believe back in 2014 as well, match won by Jay Lethal. So they were tied 1-1 one and one coming into this contest. Um, I kind of figured Jay Lethal would win. Kushida played the heel here, which was interesting. The in-ring action, a bit awkward at times, a bit sloppy, but aside from that, not like sloppy, but that sounds worse than it actually is. It felt mistimed at certain points, I should say. Um, overall, as an overall package, this was a barn burner of a bow. This was an amazing match between two guys who could just flat out go. So I love this a lot. Lethal did pick up the victory and got one step closer to uh, becoming Ring of Honor World Champion again and re-entering World Championship contention. For the Ring of Honor World Television Championship, a Baltimore street fight between newly crowned champion Punishment Martinez and Adam Page, I expected this to be an all-out war, and that's exactly what it was. They made great usage of the extreme environment, went all-out, and just had an awesome match. Punishment Martinez did hold on to the championship via fluky means. Um, he pinned Page on a table. So his ta- Page's um, shoulders were never once touching the mat, but not only that, Martinez's shoulders were touching the mat more than Page's were. So the call was a bit questionable, to say the least, unless they intend to keep the feet alive, which even then if they do, this was a bad call. It was a bad finish. The right person went over, mind you, because it was too soon to take that title off of Martinez. But if it leads to more matches between them down the road, then I'm all for it. But the finish came off as a bit flat as a result. For the Ring of Honor World Tag Team titles, the rekindling of an awesome rivalry between the Briscoes and the Young Bucks, once again going on out there and putting forth an amazing effort with a tremendous match overall. Um, A lot of fun. The best match of the night, in my opinion. These two teams continue to find ways to go to that next level and have that great match that we all expect out of them, and then some. That's how good the Briscoes and the Young Bucks are individually, but also together collectively as well as a unit in their own matches. Um, The Briscoes did go over. They did retain their titles, are still the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champions, which was interesting. Um, But hopefully it's not long before we get a rematch. This time, with the Young Bucks putting up their IWGP tag titles on the line. Now, I don't know if that's coming up down the pike or not. The commentators did make mention of that after the Briscoes beat the current reigning IWGP Tag Team Champions in non-title action here, retaining their own titles in the process. Um, instead, afterward, we had SCU, SCU, uh, callbacks to being the elite. SCU came out, Christopher Daniels, Frankie Kazarian, and Scorpio Sky, as I mentioned earlier, um, coming to the aid of the Young Bucks. Not really to save the Young Bucks, but more so really just to fend off the Briscoes and establish that they have their sights set on those Ring of Honor Tag Team titles. And then in the main event, a good match, not a great match, but a pretty good match, a three-way match for the Ring of Honor World title, Dalton Castle taking on Marty Skrull and Cody. Kind of a flat first half, to be honest with you. Um, This match really didn't pick up until the interference from Brandy Rhodes and uh, the boys and a few others. So um, the match really was kind of treading on water until that point, but... It was a very good match overall, especially down the stretch. All three men had great showings and uh, really stood out as stars. But in the end, it was Dalton Castle holding out of that championship for a little while longer. Um, Still your Ring of Honor world champion. So again, a good way to close out a very good show. No titles changing hands, but none needed to. Because the match, the the shows themselves, uh, the show itself was uh, just a lot of fun. With, what? let's see here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight awesome matches, and it never really felt at one at any point like an eight-hour, or rather, an eight-hour. That's WrestleMania. It never felt at any point like it was a three-hour pay-per-view because the time just flew by like that. 
Um, I will say this, though. There is a spoiler I will discuss real, real quick. So if you want nothing to do with any spoilers at all, it is common knowledge by this point, thanks to Ring of Honor spoiling it on Twitter. But if you don't follow Ring of Honor on Twitter, you have no idea what I'm talking about. It was a major title change that took place over the weekend, the Ring of Honor TV tapings, that has since aired on Honor Club. But again, if you want nothing to, if you want to know nothing about what happened, skip ahead by two or three minutes. But this was taped on Saturday night. Um, it was a four-way match for the Ring of Honor World Title, a banged-up Dalton Castle defending against Cody, getting another shot after Best in the World. Cody, Matt Taven, and Jay Lethal in a four corners survival match. And in the end, it was Jay Lethal reigning supreme, becoming a two-time Ring of Honor World Champion in the process. I'm not sure why they didn't just do the title change on the pay-per-view. Um, I would have given the belt to Marty Skrull. I said as such last week in my best in the world predictions that if Skrull did not win on that show, I fear that his time in the title picture is done. For the foreseeable future, but if not ever. I mean, I, I'm sure he will get some sort of run at some point with some sort of title, whether it be the TV title again or the tag titles, what might you know, what have you. But either way, I fear for Marty Skrull because the guy is really, really good. He's been at the peak of his popularity now for months, and I would have pulled the trigger here and put the championship on him and told a great story with him and Cody and the Bullet Club. Are they still fine? Are they on the same page? Whatever. Um... No pun intended with Adam Page, you get what I'm saying. But anyway, with Marty Skrull and now Jay Lethal, Jay Lethal became a two-time Ring of Honor World Champion here, um, which I think is a great move. I know there was some controversy on Twitter, I think on 4th of July, a couple days ago on social media, where he was accused of uh, sexual harassment and being, uh, or, or whatever, by Taylor Hendricks. I don't want to put too many words into her mouth, but you can check out her own Twitter for her own words. Um, but she did come out the other day and said that she would not be put on TV unless she was forced to sleeping in uh, to sleeping with Jay Lethal. So that sparked a lot of controversy. Um, it really hasn't caught steam at all since I last was updated on this situation. Um, so stay tuned on that. I don't think it'll change anything with Jay Lethal dropping the Ring of Honor World Title. But I think it's a great move. I think it's a great move. Jay Lethal is consistently the best performer night in and night out for this company. Never, ever having a bad match on their shows, whether it be a TV show, house show, pay-per-view. Jay Lethal is the MVP of ROH right now. And the decision to put the top title on it made a lot of sense. I mean, I've been saying for a while now, ever since he dropped the championship back in late 2016, Adam Cole, he kind of felt directionless. They turned him babyface, which was cool. And he's had a lot of great matches, beating a lot of people. But it felt like it was only inevitable before he got back in a title contention. Now, not only is he contending for the championship, Jay Lethal is now the new Ring of Honor World Champion. He now has the gold in his grasp as well. So the MVP of ROH back on top where he belongs. Um, like I said, you can now watch the match on Honor Club, which is really, really cool. Honor Club is a great deal anyway. That's where I watched the full Best in the World pay-per-view last... I mean, I couldn't watch it live on Friday night. I watched it after the fact on late Friday night, early Saturday morning. Honor Club is great for the pay-per-views alone. In addition to all the old content, getting the episodes early on Monday mornings, the episodes of Ring of Honor TV, those weekly shows, and now a four-corner survival match to determine a new Ring of Honor World Champion, that being Jay Lethal. So again, sign up for Honor Club today, check out the match. It's roughly 30 minutes in length, including entrances, but it's well worth checking out because the match was great. Anyway, in the final half, or the second half, rather, of my uh, edition, Holiday Week edition of WrestleRant Radio, we're talking all about WWE, Monday Night Raw, SmackDown Live, 205 Live, and NXT to be specific. Um, we will run through Raw rather quickly. There wasn't a lot on the show to discuss. I was not impressed by this episode of Raw. We kicked off the night with Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre interrupting Roman Reigns. Pretty paint-by-number promos here by everyone involved. Um, to set up the tag team match for later on in the night with Ziggler and McIntyre taking on Roman and Seth. We had a rematch from last week's Raw with Woke and Matt Hardy taking on Curtis Axel. Now again, I know Bray Wyatt is out hurt currently, so maybe the plan was to do Curtis Axel versus um, Bray Wyatt. But why not just do Bo Dallas versus Woke and Matt Hardy? Why not that? Why give us the same match we literally just saw a week ago? I thought that was silly. Um, the match really wasn't anything of note at all. Axel won again to further give the B-team a momentum boost ahead of their Raw Tag Team title match at Extreme Rules next week. 
The Authors of Pain continue to roll by beating Titus Worldwide in a pretty standard squash. Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns had a pretty good match and might have just been the best match of the night with Ziggler and McIntyre, a match that ended in a DQ after interference from the Revival, laying out Roman Reigns with the Shatter Machine, laying the groundwork for Roman's second match of the night alongside Bobby Lashley, <clears throat> alongside Bobby Lashley excuse me, against the Revival. Uh, Finn Balor interrupted Baron Corbin, laid him out, forced him to flee from the ring. It was announced later on in the week on WWE.com. I think as of today, um, that Finn Balor and Baron Corbin is confirmed for the Extreme Rules show, um, a match I'm not really too looking forward to at all. Um, I like Balor, I like Corbin, but this feud is doing a hell of a whole nothing for me at the moment. So it is what it is, but uh, this segment really did not move the needle for me at all. Uh, Ember Moon taking on Liv Morgan. Like I said earlier, Ruby Riot was out injured and was not on this episode of Raw. So uh, Liv Morgan stepped up, fell to Ember Moon in a pretty uh, decent match. Roman Reigns' second match of the night was also successful in his favor, once again by DQ, with him and Bobby Lashley beating the Revival by disqualification. After the Revival refused to lay off on Roman, uh, Bobby Lashley walked off on Roman, and it was like kind of viewed as a heel turn by the commentators, which it really wasn't. I mean, I wouldn't complain if it was. Um, his new updated entrance music for Bobby sounds very heelish, in my opinion. But anyway... Um, if he is a heel, that's great. I've said this for months now, but Bobby is just drowning as a babyface. In WWE as a heel, he could really flourish a lot like he did in TNA for so many years. Um, but yeah, Bobby walked off. He had every right to after Roman really did nothing to save um to save Bobby's ass during the match, and he never once opted to tag in. So that was a bit uh a bit weird. And now Roman and Bobby is confirmed for Extreme Rules one-on-one next Sunday. Again, no stipulation. Why even bother with a fucking Extreme Rules pay-per-view? I mean, to be honest, why? Why not? Why not just get rid of the entire pay-per-view? If not all, if not most, matches on the show are going to be Extreme Rules. I don't understand that. Mojo Raleigh once again encountering No Way Jose, laying him out again the same exact way he has the past two weeks. Nothing new there. I still give no shits. Nia Jax taking on Mickey James. Pretty easy win for Nia Jax. The match was okay. And then in the main event, Braun Strowman taking on Kevin Owens. The match went all of 30 seconds before Kevin Owens immediately fleed from the ring. Got himself counted out, which was fine. Just because I would I, I would assume they're setting up a rematch for Extreme Rules next Sunday. Probably inside a steel cage. Um, but the match was obviously really not much of a match at all. But it was what would happen afterward. That got people talking. Now, Strowman chased Owens to the outside of the arena. Owens, like a fucking dummy, went inside the porter potty. Um, and as a result, Strowman later found him. Of course he did. Why wouldn't he have? Um, dragged the porter potty to the stage uh, in front of, you know, right in front of the ring. The stage, um, the set, the raw set. And uh, pushed it over the edge where the commentators sit. So it didn't go too, too far. But we are supposed to believe that Kevin Owens has all this dirty shit water all over him, and it, it was just a dumb angle. It really is. Braun Strowman has done a lot of cool stuff over the past six, seven, eight, nine months, if not the last year. This was not one of them. This was not one of his more impressive feats, to say the least. It was more of a uh, cheap attempt at sports entertainment silliness, uh, comedy than anything, and it didn't work. Um, I mean, I'm sure they're going to have a good match at the pay-per-view when it is confirmed eventually, uh, but... As of right now, I really just, I don't know why that's even a thing. I'm not even really sure why Kevin Owens had to be put in a porter potty and be tipped over. It just seems more childish or just unnecessary than anything else. So that was Raw. Raw sucked on Monday. SmackDown was a bit better on Tuesday night. The penultimate episode uh, before Extreme Rules. In the opener, we had the Usos, not in the opening match, but the opening segment. The Usos interrupting the interview of Renee Young with Team Hell No. I love the continuity here. I'm glad they didn't forget about Kane attempting to end the career of Daniel Bryan back in 2014. Because he, like, tombstoned him on the ground, like, how many times? Four or five times in one night? It might have been the same night that Daniel Bryan's father passed away, too. So Bryan was not having the best of days um, back in April of 2014. But yeah, that's exactly what happened. And it was in storyline because of that that Bryan had to take time off for the next eight months to recuperate from his injury. Now, in real life, it was because of the neck injuries that he had suffered uh, months and months ahead of time. But, yeah, that really sucked. But I was glad they brought it up here just because, you know, people are thinking it's great that we have Team Hell No back, but wasn't the last time that we see that we saw these two together 
it was when Kane was laying out Brian backstage or when Kane was making Brian's life a living hell back in 2014, 2015. And you would be right. You would be absolutely right to say that, uh, yeah, it would make no absolutely no sense for them to get back together. But they attempted to explain that away here by saying that Kane always looked at Brian as a brother, despite how many times he attempted to pretty much murder him. But anyway, the Usos came out, staked their acclaim at the SmackDown Tag Team titles, and Paige booked it herself. The SmackDown GM made it official for the main event. The Usos versus Team Hell No for the first time ever. If uh, the Usos reign supremed, they would be added to the SmackDown Tag Team title match at Extreme Rules. Um, speaking of championship matches, we had Jeff Hardy hosting once again another Independence Day U.S. Open with the United States Championship on the line, this time being answered by none other than The Miz. Uh, this was not as good as their last match against each other back in, I think, early May on SmackDown, but this was still very good. Uh, they, brought the, the, they brought out the best in each other, had a very entertaining encounter, and in the end, it was Hardy holding on to the United States Championship ahead of, ahead of his uh, upcoming title defense at Extreme Rules against Shinsuke Nakamura. Sanity, after I ranted about them last week, losing in their in-ring debut on SmackDown, getting back on the right track this week, thank God, by laying out the New Day. Um, this was good. The New Day almost attempted to host their third or first annual 3rd of July pancake eating contest. Like, what? What does that even mean? Um, but no, this was this was good. This was effective in getting heat back on Sanity and, and ensuring people take them seriously. Now, it wasn't a home run of a segment. Sanity are not all well and good just because of this, but in short, it was a step in the right direction. Asuka and James Ellsworth did not come to fruition. Um, I mean, the match happened, but it went for all of 30 seconds, if not a minute long, before Asuka um, forced James to just run away in fear for his life. Um, the match was deemed a double countout, and once Asuka got back to the ring, he, she was laid out by Carmella, so... It put more heat on Carmella, but Ellsworth and Asuka was a bit of a disappointment. I was really, I mean, not for an instant classic, but I was really hoping for an instant, um, an epic beatdown from Asuka on Ellsworth. Unfortunately, we did not get that. Maybe it's supposed to just whet the appetite of what we're supposed to expect at the pay-per-view, or I'm not exactly sure. Maybe, you know, at some point down the road with um, Asuka just beating the holy hell out of James Ellsworth. I cannot wait for that day, but uh, this was okay. AJ Styles taking on and beating Aiden English in a fairly standard singles outing. Um, afterward, Rusev did lay out AJ Styles, locked him the accolade, again, building momentum ahead of Extreme Rules. So, again, well done segment there. Becky Lynch taking on Peyton Royce in a decent match. Nothing too great here, but it was okay. Um, Becky Lynch, I'm really happy with the fact that she's been racking a victory after victory after victory on SmackDown after being... Um, on the wrong side of those matches for a long, long time. She was being overlooked and underappreciated for a long time on SmackDown for at least well over a year, in my opinion. But she is now back in full force. She's back in full form on SmackDown um, by winning match after match after match. I would assume and slash hope more than anything that the end game of this Becky Lynch winning streak is her going back after the SmackDown Women's Championship and winning the belt at um at SummerSlam. I would hope so anyway. Because if not, I don't know where they're going with this. But it is cool to see her winning more matches. And I think Becky and Carmella for the title at SummerSlam, where Becky gets the belt back, I think is the way to go. And then in the main event, with Team Hell No taking on the Usos with a shot at the SmackDown Tag Team titles hanging in the balance, Team Hell No went over in what was a good match. By no means great, but it was it was, it was pretty good. And um, successfully showed that Team Hell No is on the same page before they go to war with the Bludgeon Brothers at Extreme Rules. 205 Live on Tuesday night was another great show from the Cruiserweight division. Uh, we kicked things off with TJP once again calling out any opponent in the back. And the difference here was that in recent weeks when TJP has been complaining about not being on Raw, not being on SmackDown, and not getting opportunities... He was not able to pick his opponent here. He was granted an opponent. He was given an opponent by the 205 Live GM Drake Maverick, the former Rockstar Spud. Who would it be answering the call? None other than the former um, Alicia Fox lover, Noam Dar. Um, he is back. I know he returned at the NXT UK Championship Special last Tuesday. Got a much bigger reaction there than he did here, of course. Um, but it was still cool to see him back, beating TJP quickly, decisively successfully, um, I thought this was good. Introducing Dar back into the fold as a babyface, which 
Could be interesting as long as he's allowed to showcase some, show some personality. He should be good. Um, but we'll see. Anything is better than what he was doing before, which was fucking terrible. Cedric Alexander was a few that never seemed to end. Um, but no, this was a good way to bring him back onto the show. We had Akira Tozawa taking on a local athlete by the name of Jason Strife. Jason Strife. Where do they get these names from? God forbid. Jesus Christ. Um, this was a pretty standard squash match, but the focus was fully on Leo Rush during and after the match. He stepped up on the commentary table, called out Akira Tozawa, even though he was standing pretty much right there, talking about his luxurious life, uh, luxurious life, uh, you know, growing up rich and now having all this money that he can't spend. He's the man of the hour and all this other stuff. Leo Rush, I might have said it last week. I'm pretty sure I did, but the guy's a star. The guy's really, really good. Uh, in the ring, he's second to none. The vignettes were great, but those were also pre-taped. This was the first true test of Leo Rush's WWE career. That if he could cut a good promo here on his own, um, you know, for any length of time, he was going to, you know, show that he could be a real star, not only in this division, but in my opinion, well beyond that as well. Leo Rush can be a real asset to this company if they utilize him properly, and also if he doesn't continue to make an ass out of himself on Twitter. Um, but all things considered, I thought this was good. I thought Leo Rush targeting, or I think Leo Rush targeting Akira Tozawa as his first feud makes sense. Tozawa has been uh, bouncing back in recent weeks with win after win after win. It makes sense for him to do the honors to the uh, up-and-coming star, Leo Rush. And the match should be great, too, if they're given time to shine. And then in the main event, in a no-disqualification match, Buddy Murphy taking on Mustafa Ali. So, in the last couple of months, Buddy Murphy beat Ali in the WWE Cruiserweight Championship Tournament. They had a rematch soon after that was won by Mustafa Ali. They had another match that was interrupted by Hideo Itami, and they were allowed to blow off their rival over here. Um, and they went all out. They went all out. We talk all about all in. They went all out and delivering just an amazing match on this show. And again, one of the best matches I've seen in WWE or just really in general all year with strong performances from both Ali and Buddy Murphy. Um, at one point, Ali did the standing spla- uh, Spanish fly. Is that what it's called? The C4, as John Morrison, Johnny Nitro used to call it. Off the commentary table, doing some crazy shit off the top rope. Buddy Murphy tossing Ali into a table. This whole thing was nuts. It was a crazy match. It was a lot of fun. And again, like I said earlier, you're doing yourself a major disservice by not seeking out this match. 205 Live is so much better than it used to be. It's like night and day. Um, The big reboot of 205 Live has been a breath of fresh air. And a lot of the feuds, a lot of the characters I'm starting to care about again. TJP has something going for him. Noam Dar's back in the fold. Akira Tozawa has this thing with Leo Rush. We have the Lucha House Party. Drew Gulak doing his thing right now. Ali and Buddy Murphy. Hideo attacking or targeting, rather. The uh, Cruiserweight Champion, Cedric Alexander. They're doing their thing. They're, they will be clashing for that Cruiserweight Championship next week. So, again, a um, lot to love about 205 Live right now. If you gave up on the show about a year ago, six months ago... It's time to give it another chance because the matches are always delivering, at least the main events are, and there's a lot of good, compelling characters and interesting programs right now in WWE, or uh, in 205 Live, I should say. So definitely check out the show if you haven't already, and if you have in the past, you didn't like it, check it out again. Give it a few weeks, follow the storylines, follow the feuds, watch the matches, and I can guarantee you will be impressed and may become a regular watcher of the show by all, you know, by the end of the day. We'll see. I don't want to promise too, too much, but I think when all is said and done, you could very well become a uh, faithful follower of 205 Live just because the show is consistently week out, week in, week out, just flat out fantastic. And then finally, we get to NXT from Wednesday, the 4th of July edition, which you would never know. It aired on 4th of July, but there was no... Um, sign whatsoever that this, this was a holiday edition of NXT, which I fucking love. I love the holiday editions of shows, even though they feel completely throwaway. Um, but I do love it when they do, you know, shows on Halloween or on Christmas or on 4th of July or on this holiday or that holiday, whatever. So again, it didn't really matter on this show because this was business as usual from NXT, which I loved. Um, it was announced on this show that in three weeks time, it will be Aleister Black versus Tommaso Ciampa. For the NXT Championship, so... I mean, I guess they could do a rematch in Brooklyn, but 
I figured, you know, at this point, after seeing that announced for NXT TV, that it could be Black, Gargano, and Ciampa for the belt in Brooklyn. It kind of has to be at this point. I think it would have to be. Um, just because, I mean, you look at that show. Who else can Black face? Um, I guess you could put him up against Dream or EC3, but EC3 just lost on this show. I don't think he's going for the championship anytime soon. So, anyway, I do like the idea of Black and Ciampa on TV, Gargano getting involved, and maybe that's setting the stage for a three-way for that championship in Brooklyn. Um, also, next week, we have Adam Cole, baby. Happy, uh, very happy birthday to Adam Cole, who I guess uh, his, his birthday was today, which I did not realize until I just started recording the show and I saw it on YouTube, by WWE's YouTube account. But, anyway, Adam Cole, baby, will be taking on uh, Danny Burch next week. We have, I think, Lacey Evans versus Kyrie. No, we have already had Zayn and Evans. I think it was Kyrie Zayn versus Vanessa Bourne. And maybe one other match. I can't think of at the moment. But, yeah, we got another stack show on tap for next week, too. On this show, kicking off the night, we had Dakota Kai taking on Santana Garrett. It really surprises me that no promotion has yet to sign Santana Garrett. Like, what's the deal? She's been wrestling for Impact, WWE, all these other promotions. For years. I remember seeing her in NXT like five years ago, no joke. Like 2013. And she has yet to be signed, which, again, blows my mind because she's so good. And I think she was a part of last year's Mae Young Classic, so hopefully she's brought back again for this year's Mae Young Classic, and hopefully this time she's off for a contract. I could say the same thing about Maya Yim, too. I think Maya Yim is amazing. And I was really surprised that uh, she her showings in the Mae Young Classic last year did not lead to her getting a contract, but... Maybe this time around. It was a good showing by Dakota Kai. Nonetheless, a very nice opening match. And another win for Kai to bounce back from her loss to Bianca Belair a few weeks back. Um, speaking of the women, Shayna Baszler came out to call out the NXT Women's Division. Baszler, by the week, comes across like a more complete star than almost anyone else in NXT or really just in WWE. Um, I know there's some people that aren't the biggest Baszler fans, but her matches are getting better and her promos, more importantly, are getting better. This being one of them. She has a certain poise about her that just makes everything that she says and does make it feel like a big deal, which is cool. And it's not just the legit MMA background that she has. She just presents herself like a star. And I love that a lot. This was a great promo. I don't know who's going to be next up to challenge her. I doubt Nikki Cross is getting another shot anytime soon. There's Candice LeRae. That's my bet. But they could do LeRae. They could do Zane. They could do Belair. That wouldn't be the worst bet. Um, Belair is undefeated currently, unlike LeRae, unlike Kyrie Sane. So maybe Belair is the next one to challenge for that championship. And you can argue, oh, it's heel versus heel, but it doesn't really matter. I think the match would be great regardless. They're going to be in Brooklyn. No one gives a shit. It's the same city where we saw Sanity versus Authors of Pain last year, and both teams were supposed to be heel. So who cares? Um, but yeah, I would put Baszler in the ring with Belair come Brooklyn. But that's just my two cents. That's just how I would book it. In a two-on-one handicap match on the show, we had the Mighty, the former Team 6-1, taking on Otis Dojovic, um, one half of Heavy Machinery. This was a lot more fun than I thought it would be. Never underestimate NXT, of course, um, but when I see handicap match, I'm thinking, oh, like I'm getting flashbacks of like like war flashbacks from NOM, but instead of NOM, it's like Raw 2013, Raw 2014, when we had handicap matches with The Shield and with Big Show and Daniel Bryan like seemingly every single goddamn week. But no, this was a lot of fun. Otis got in a ton of offense. The Mighty looked very, very good here. They are heels after all by this point. So them, you know, just barely picking up the win made Otis look good and gave them a win they desperately needed. So I thought this was uh, very well done. Velveteen Dream versus Chris Dijak was uh, a lot of fun. I was going to say the match of the night, but Gargano and EC3 was great though. I said it before when Ricochet took him on right before TakeOver Chicago too. But Dijak is the real deal. The guy is fucking awesome. Um, I had the chance to interview him at a chaotic wrestling show for a school project back in April of 2016, so just two years ago. But in that time, he's gone on to do cool things in Ring of Honor, now signed with NXT. He's been there now for almost a year. I really wish they would take like a guy like Kona Reeves off TV and start building around uh, Chris Dijak, the former Donovan Dijak, because the guy is awesome. The guy is so good, and he showed that in this match, even in defeat. Shining like the star that he is. In the ring as a character, getting the crowd behind him. I thought it was awesome. Chris Dijak is, uh, again, one to watch in NXT. But this was a lot of fun. Very great match here. Uh, Velveteen Dream going over. 
in his victory celebration was then interrupted by EC3's entrance. So it looks like Dream and EC3 might be on a collision course for TakeOver Chicago 4, or TakeOver Brooklyn 4, excuse me. I can't get the Chicago mentality out of my head here, which uh, it was such a great vacation. But anyway, um, Gargano and EC3 did face off in the main event, but yeah, it does look like EC3 and Velveteen Dream might be facing off in Brooklyn, which I'm here for that. I'm here for it just because I don't know what else you would do with them. I don't know who else would win. I don't know who of the two would win because Dream kind of needs a win. EC3, not that he needs a win, but he just lost on this show. It really would not make him look too good if he lost again to um, to Velveteen Dream in Brooklyn. But then again, Dream has been doing the honors left and right for guys like Johnny Gargano, for Ricochet, for Aleister Black, all these other people that get opportunities before him. Um, so that being said, we'll see where they go with it with both Velveteen Dream, EC3, Gargano in the title picture. I'm not exactly sure. Um, but yeah, I know I enjoyed the main event a lot, is what I was uh, thinking. I don't know where I was going with what I was saying before, but Gargano and EC3 was a great main event for this show. Um, they brought the best out of each other. EC3 losing again. Again, losing for the first time really wasn't that big of a deal because they told a great story here. But yeah, Dream needs to get the win in Brooklyn. If him and EC, that, I think that's what I was going for. Dream would have to win that match just because he's been doing the uh, J-O-B far more than he should be um, at this stage of the game. But yeah, Gargano and EC3 was a lot of fun. Gargano did channel his inner Ciampa here. Um, so he's slowly but surely becoming what he hates, which is a real interesting story to tell. And um, yeah, EC3 looking real good in the feet in this match. This whole show was just a lot of fun. It was a great way to cap off my 4th of July. Um, I didn't watch the show live. I have yet to watch Lucha Underground which is a shame. I will be watching it as soon as this show goes up. Um, I've been just backtracked with a lot of stuff. I'm just busy with work and a lot of other stuff right now, and the holiday obviously didn't help, but did have a great holiday. Hope you guys did as well, the 4th of July, and like I said at the start of the show, even if you're not American, I hope you had a, a wonderful Wednesday, as Matt Hardy would say, regardless of what, you know, what, where you live, regardless of whether it's America, Mexico, Europe, Asia, fucking wherever. I hope you enjoyed your Wednesday nonetheless. So we will be back next Thursday for another new edition of Wrestle Rant Radio. But in the meantime, and in between time, folks, you can check me out on the socials on Twitter on or at Wrestle Rant rather on Facebook at facebook.com backslash graham.gsm.matthews. Give the page an old thumbs up. You can find me on YouTube as well at youtube.com backslash C backslash GSMMatthews. Nextairwrestling.net is the one-stop destination for all my written reviews of Raw, SmackDown, NXT, Main Event. We got Lucha Underground reviews up there, Impact. We got Ring of Honor, my Ring of Honor Best in the World written review. Check it out right now at nextairwrestling.net. Also there, we got every episode of WrestleRant Radio ever up in the archives. So check that out. All the new episodes are uploaded on the website every single Thursday. You know, aside from the occasional delay like a few weeks ago, but nonetheless... Not only on NextDayWrestling.net, but also on iTunes. Simply search up WrestleRant Radio on Apple Podcast. Um, you can rate the show. You can review the show. Subscribe to the show. You not only get every new episode on Thursdays, guys, but you also get every archived episode dating back to the show's debut in October of 2013. And yes, we are quickly approaching the five-year anniversary of WrestleRant Radio, which is fucking just unreal, to say the least. Pardon my French, but this has been a crazy roller coaster of a ride. Over the past five years, I'm having on a lot of great guests, having on a lot of, uh, you know, both from inside the wrestling world and outside the wrestling world. It's been an amazing outlet for me to spew my uh, my BS, my two cents, my uh, in-depth analysis, my thoughts, and everything wrestling-related. So again, thank you if you tuned in one episode or a hundred. I appreciate your support of the show. So with all that being said, guys, like I said, pretty, I was going to say business as usual next week, but we will have Extreme Rules predictions on next week's show. I'm not sure what my schedule is looking like in, rega- in regards to recording and when I might do it, but that being said, um, we might have someone on, we'll see, um, but if not, we will be breaking down, offering a full-on preview of the pay-per-view right here on Russell Rant Radio next Thursday. So until then, guys, have a great rest of your week and weekend. I'm Graham Jason Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road.